Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Behind the Set List, the podcast where artists tell the stories about the songs they play live. As a singer, you get you get arrangements that that change your mind, and that's always a good feeling when when you see a blueprint to something that you've loved, but maybe you're feeling a little insecure about adding yet another version of it to the canon. That's multi-platinum singer Josh Groban talking about covering the Charles Aznavour song, She. It's one of the songs Groban is playing on his current U.S. tour, and one of many he's playing from his 2020 album, Harmony. Groban talks about his affinity for British rock music, his friendship with composer Stephen Sondheim, and how he picks songs for his set list, and much more in this episode of Behind the Set List. I'm Jay Gilbert from Label Logic. And I'm Glenn Peoples from Billboard. Great to see you, Glenn. How are you? I'm good, Jay. How are you? And what do you think of our conversation with Josh Groban? Wow. Josh is such a great story. You know, when he was 17 years old, his vocal coach sent a tape to Grammy award-winning producer David Foster, who asked Josh to come to a rehearsal for the 1999 Grammy Awards, where, as a stand-in for Andrea Bocelli, he rehearsed Foster's The Prayer with Celine Dion. No pressure, right? That one event sparked interest from Rosie O'Donnell for him to appear on her show the following week, which in turn led to an appearance on Ally McBeal, and he was off to the races. Yeah, Josh is a natural storyteller, perfect to have on a podcast. I think he could have his own podcast, in fact. Uh, that comes through in his live shows. He's talkative when not playing songs from the mini albums he's released over the last two decades. In this conversation, we talked a lot about songs from his 2020 album, Harmony, which debuted at number four in the Billboard 200 chart. One thing we didn't touch on is holiday music. Josh has an amazing sales and streaming history of holiday music, mainly from his 2007 album, Noel. But we did touch on his guest appearance on the TV show, The Office, more than a decade ago. That was a fantastic episode. Absolutely. Josh is very deliberate about crafting his set list. He understands his audience and how to make sure he plays songs for old and new fans alike. So let me add a thank you for listening to Behind the Set List. Please follow the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We currently release an episode every other week or so. And please leave a review and comments. That really helps a lot. And if we could ask a favor, if you could just tell one friend about this podcast, we would really appreciate it. We sure would. Also, look for our Behind the Set List playlist on Spotify that includes all the podcasts along with music either played or mentioned in the podcasts. 
you'll find Andy Grammer, Kurt Smith from Tears for Fears, Ann Wilson from Heart, Ani DeFranco, country singer-songwriter Haley Witters, and now, this week's episode, Josh Groban. So, without further ado, here's Josh Groban on Behind the Set List. Let it roll. Josh, thanks for joining us on Behind the Set List. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Where are you today? I am in um, Palo Alto, California, about to play the Mountain View Amphitheater this uh, this evening. Beautiful venue. And uh, this time of year, really nice to be outdoors. I mean, it's that's been the case for most of the venues, um, maybe not the 95 degree uh, uh, with humidity venues. We've had a couple of those this summer. But um, but yeah, now that we're, you know, we're West Coast, we're we're get inching closer to my hometown of Los Angeles and and Mountain View is has always been a, a place we've loved to play. I've played at solo. I did Neil Young's um, Bridge School Benefit there once, and it's just a, a good memory spot. So we're looking forward to it. Yeah, you're going to be playing, I hear, in Santa Barbara soon, which is close to me. And yeah. Santa Barbara Bowl, uh, what a beautiful mm-hmm. venue that is. It is. I mean, you know, we love we love the outdoor venues for a couple of reasons. One, it just it seems to spark a little bit of a looseness with the audience. There's just a, a kind of a more casual element to it, um, which for the kind of music that I make is is always a nice um nice thing to have because I think I think sometimes people sometimes walk into a theater or an arena with a sense of formality of this is going to be a you know a nice kind of golf clappy kind of show and with the outdoor shows there's you know you're it already feels like summer camp a little bit so everybody's you know having a little wine and on their blankets and it just it feels loose I think it probably feels that way too for the some of the orchestras that play there in the summer um it just it, to me it's a it's an ideal way to experience music and you're also you're duetting with the elements so um it's a little added challenge for us on stage that we like that sometimes we get like i said that heat and you're just saying okay my voice is gonna have to cut through this humidity and i'm gonna swallow a bug or two tonight and and then you have places like red rocks where we we went we went from 94 degrees the night before to 58 degrees where I could see my breath on stage and a fog rolled in and we were singing through the fog as well. And it was just, you know, the stuff that maybe I would have found kind of nerve wracking or annoying when I was younger. I find that stuff so, so wonderful to just kind of flow with whatever weather and whatever experience you're, you're, it's communal. You're experiencing all that with the audience. So um, it definitely keeps you on your feet. When you get to L.A., you're going to be at the Greek Theater, right? And pretty mild temperatures in, in L.A. these days. Uh, what do you think about playing the Greek? What, do you like that place? I love the Greek. It's, uh, it's right near where I grew up. And, uh, uh, you know, anytime you can go and play theaters that um, you, you were inspired by other artists playing those venues, um, it's always, always cool. It's always a great thing to have a hometown you know, LA is always a little bit of a thing, you know, you play LA and it's going to be, you know, uh, you know, part fans, part family, part industry. And, um, and so there's kind of that little added, um, I don't know, expectation or, or, or pressure when you play, you know, uh, someplace like Los Angeles. But I think that that's cut by the beauty of a place by like, like the Greek, it's, it's a very, much like the others, feels very casual, feels surrounded by trees. And um, and it's just a really nice place as a fan to go and see music. There are places in L.A. that feel like you have to 
you know, plan for a month in order to just get parking and figure out where you're going to walk and figure out how you're going to get a sitter and all that stuff. And the Greek is just, it's one of those places that feels like it's kind of a hop, skip and a jump from a lot of places in Los Angeles. So uh, we're, we're, and, and I filmed the TV special there. Um, one of my first ever uh, televised concerts that I, that I did, um, I think in 2005, 2004, 2005, uh, was called live at the Greek. So we, we did, we did a show there and, uh, and it's, so it's got a little history for me. Yeah. Beautiful place. Josh, I would love it if you could take us to the Josh Groban school of picking songs to record and, and play live. And what is it that attracts you to a song? Is it, is it lyrics, melody, mood? Does the artist need to be a personal favorite favorite? So the song is kind of an homage of sorts. What is it? Because, you know, you, there's so much variety in what you choose to play. What are the common threads there? Well, I mean, sometimes that variety can be a little paralyzing because there are a lot of choices. And, you know, my first tour, I had to find songs to throw in because I hadn't recorded very much. And um, the good thing about having 10 albums to choose from is you got 10 albums to choose from. And the bad thing is that you've got so many songs that you could possibly choose. And I'm very lucky that I've got a fan base who, want to listen to the whole album and every fan has a different favorite um there's always going to be the one or two that i can't get off stage without playing but the rest of them you know we've tried polling fans what do you want to hear you know what's what are some of the favorites out there and honestly it's it's across the board i mean it's it's really one of those interesting things where um whatever i choose is going to please some people and 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 uh, tick off a couple other people so um so it just comes down to for me um what feels like it flows really well um both like an arc of the show finding stuff that brings the energy down brings the energy back up gives some unexpected moments maybe some opportunities for duets um i want to make sure that um vocally i'm i'm also you know working my way through 16 17 songs in a way that feels really healthy and allows me to really press the gas when I want to and then lay off the gas and make it more intimate um and uh and also I I I think about live shows when I'm recording it's it's something that just inspires me when I'm in the studio to think about how would this feel in front of an audience if I were to perform this with every with all the whole group on stage you know I I like to close my eyes and think about that stuff when I'm recording so for an album like Harmony where we finally after recording it basically in our bedrooms have a chance to be in front of people um, I knew for this tour that I wanted to give those songs, you know, uh, that the, that moment that I've been fantasizing about from, you know, my pajamas. I wanted to really let those songs have the full instrumentation and choir and, and orchestra that that I had en- envisioned uh, while we were recording it in quarantine. So, um, so of course, this tour is going to be heavy on those songs as well. So creating a set list as you just touch on is it's definitely an art form i mean how involved are you in actually creating your set lists for tours and walk us through what's that process like yeah it's um you know in some ways it's a little bit different every time this this uh we were talking a little bit before before we pressed record that you know this was a a really interesting um tour kind of unlike anything i've ever done before because um because I, I was usually you're coming out of a huge amount of momentum where you've been traveling around the world promoting and you're, you're kind of, you've got your, your land legs as far as just, 
you're in it. You're in the game. You're you're singing every day. You're doing TV shows. You're you're just kind of in the momentum and in the the spirit of the album before you go off and then do the tour of that album. And it's just kind of another, usually another chapter of that momentum. And this, I think I probably am speaking for so many artists right now that this was a, such a disjointed, inspiring and exciting, but disjoint, disjointed way of doing this. I think probably the reason why everybody in their grandmother is touring this summer is because we all had the same idea of like, well, now's our window. Let's, get these songs out in front of people. It's like when we all decided we wanted to big banana bread at the same time during COVID. We all, every artist decided, I want to be the one to tour. Now there's a hundred thousand of us. Um, and, uh, you know, so, so this album came out a while ago, but this is, this is the, the moment we had like so many artists to get out and, and do it. So all that being said, the set list um, for this tour, I think we definitely wanted to focus on the album that we weren't able to perform. But um, as far as all those other things about just the art form of putting the songs together, I lucked, I fell up on this one because normally I have a huge amount of time leading up to it to play around, to go into rehearsals, singing 10 different options of, of, of song orders and throwing ideas at my band and saying, why don't we try this? Or why don't we blend this song into that song? And really we're just putting ourselves through a bunch of hoops and, and mental math and and then just going towards the goosebumps this this tour i have to say you know i was at my brother's wedding and it was in istanbul and i came back from my brother's wedding and we my whole family had a had a little bit of a sore throat and we thought uh oh um we dodged covid for over two years and uh and so we and we all got it at the exact same time and so um I finally tested negative, I would say maybe just a little, little over 24 hours before fly, having to fly to Detroit to start the tour. Um, so, but, you know, for anybody who's had it, just because you test negative there were for a vocalist, lots of lingering things. Just, it was still in my chest. It was still in my lungs. I was coughing up a lung every time I sang a song. Um, the day before the first concert, I, I couldn't sing half my voice. I just, it was just was one of those things where I had to very quickly think of a set list for this show because my mind was basically on, I really just hope we don't have to cancel it. And so if I'm being honest, this set list came together very, very quickly this time around. And it was one that I really kind of put a lot of songs in this set list that I knew just gave me a lot of pure enjoyment to sing that if I if I knew I was going to be miserable in my body <laughs> I wanted to be happy emotionally and I wanted to feel like these were songs that you know I didn't I didn't want to put myself through any weird square peg and a round hole uh hoops this this time around I just wanted to go out there and enjoy myself I felt like we all deserved to just do what we love sing songs that we've been excited to sing and let the joy kind of overtake um any other kind of challenges we might have tried to push ourselves through for any other tour and at least start that way and then i and then i felt like i could i could kind of move the set list around and change some things and add some new challenges as we went along but when i say i fell up we that first night felt really magic and it felt like i had to focus like a tightrope walk to get through it vocally but i did the audience didn't know i was even feeling anything and that's always a good thing and then as i got stronger 
we started thinking about ways to change the set list. And every time we tried to change it, we it lost a little bit of that, whatever that spontaneous magic was. And it was kind of a lesson for me too, of that you can overthink these things as well. And sometimes when you're when you're when you're put in front of a challenge where you really don't have any other options except to just do what feels natural and feels great, uh, you, you you know it, it sets a boundary for you to play really really well in. So we we liked the set list when we when we did it. We knew we were getting fresh audiences mostly every night, and so we decided to hang on to it. The show that Jay and I looked at, uh, which was July twenty second in Kansas City, and it looks like a lot of the concerts you've, you've had a very similar or the exact same opening, uh, the world we knew by Frank Sinatra, uh, and shape of my heart, uh, by sting, which are both on your 2020 album harmony and a lot of songs from harmony, uh, made the set list. One thing you said in your Chicago show was you expressed your affinity to British, British songwriters. And you were talking between shape of my heart and Robbie Williams, angels Mm. songs, two and three, you said you love British songwriters and pop and rock music out of England is very inspiring and timeless. Yeah. I, 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 I found them just over the course of my career to be, to be um, much more genre bending than, than not. Uh, there's a lot of songs that come out of England. A lot of those songwriters that um were ahead of their time as far as just incorporating orchestral elements. You think of some of the rock bands, the queen and things like that, you, you know, Peter Gabriel, Annie Lennox, you look at artists that, you know, incorporated a lot of actual crossover styles in their, in their music um, that lend themselves really, really well, set up the ball nicely for, for singers that have more traditional voices or have more orchestral arrangements um, it it feels very natural for some of those songs, and especially some of the messages of those songs, something like Angels of Shape of My Heart. Um, it, it, it's always been a, a really natural fit. I'm loving angels instead When I'm feeling weak and That's not to say that songs from America don't do that, but um, I think there has been something kind of you know, when I look back at even some of the old Elton John albums and listen to those Buckmaster arrangements, uh, they're they're operatic, they're avant-garde, they're they're just the most wild string and horn arrangements, and they could be done with a full symphony. You know, and those were some of the great rock albums uh, ever made. And so, um, I, I've I've always been really inspired by that crossover element to the arrangements of the original songs uh, in, in that part of the world. And when choosing songs to do, um, I find myself going there a lot for inspiration. So as you get to the middle of your set, uh, one of these really great highlights uh, for me was, um, and I'll probably butcher her name, but is, is it Lucia Micarelli? Uh, uh, yeah, close. Lucia. Close. Lucia Micarelli. Lucia, yeah. sorry. Um mm-hmm. What what an amazing player! Beautiful voice. Absolutely. I love her yeah. interpretations of Queen, Led Zeppelin. How did I you know. meet Lucia? And tell us a little bit about. I, I love watching you two play off each other. Tell us a little mm-hmm. bit about that relationship. Yeah, sure. Um, I was uh, preparing for my uh, first ever tour. I didn't didn't really tour much on my first album. Um, my second album, Closer, was the first time I decided to do a tour one because I felt like I had 
built the vocal stamina to do a whole concert, but also because, as I mentioned, I finally had enough songs to to do a concert. And um, and we were looking for a way at the time to um, you know to showcase uh, some of the violin work that was on those those two albums. Joshua Bell had recorded with me on on the album, and so we wanted to represent that. But we also wanted to add um, some musicianship on stage that gave some surprises. And Lucia came to us. Um, she was recommended, I think, after she had been touring at that time with Trans-Siberian Orchestra. And we got a video of her. And we were, you know, close to the same age. And I was I was watching her play. And I was just going, oh, my God. I mean, the sound is is unbelievable. But also the wildness within her her precise technique the, the the abandon that she was able to have along with that technique was something very very special a lot of times you see classical players play and there is an abandon but it's still it's like a it's a controlled um you know it's a controlled uh, thing and so for her to to watch her play and for there to be such an emotional abandon with the, with the with the technical prowess was just something that there was a sound there that was just so amazing and so as we became friends and as we you know, did countless shows together, uh, both on that tour and the Awake tour. Um, you know, I, I just, I just absolutely was have been enamored with with her, with her talent, and um, and and also knew it was a talent we would not be able to, you know, have on stage with us forever. You know, she's somebody who has flown from that nest many many times and has continued to wow audiences around the world and you know i call her a swiss army knife because she's now acting and she's singing and she's doing all kinds of things and she's um you know uh, she's expecting a, a child so she's going to have her, her first baby which we're all really thrilled about um this tour because it felt like a homecoming for so many of us to just be out there again we wanted there to be a sense of coming together and uh, with it with a renewed appreciation of where we've come from where we're going the fact that we are able to do this again at all. And I'd been catching up with Lucia periodically when we'd go out to lunch and just catch up on life and music and laugh and just have a, you know, have a great time. And, and at some point I just said, you know, look, we're thinking of going on tour. Would you ever consider doing a tour again? You know, and, you know, it's funny how, you know, this last couple of years has changed everybody's perspective about what they'd be willing to try and do and, you know, new adventures. And she said, yeah, you know, that that's something that could be fun. And so, um, so, you know, needless to say, we're, we're, we're exceedingly grateful that she's lent, lent her talent to the stage with us. Uh, again, it's great to see her again. We'd love to hear how you became familiar with the song. She, uh, which was a, a big hit in the UK in 1974. Uh, Americans might know the song from the movie Notting Hill. As the story goes, the film initially had the original version. The U.S. test audience didn't get it, and so Elvis Costello was brought in to record a version. What's the version that you looked to when when you uh, decided to play it? And, and this is also on your album Harmony from 2020. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I, I've I've loved the song ever since Aznavour. I heard Charles Aznavour sing it. Um, of course, one of the writers as well, and um, I love the Elvis Costello version too. It's, it, it falls into the category of a song that has been in my periphery for a long time uh, because uh, I've been asked to sing it many times. I've loved listening to it, 
but not every song I love listening to necessarily feels like something that I need to, you know, grobanize. <laughs> I, I don't need to, I don't, I'm not, I'm really not a, I'm not a, um, I'm not somebody who's always lifting my hand to say, Hey, I got to do that. Uh, you know, oftentimes, and I, and I mentioned this on stage that, um, you know, you, you, as a singer, you get, you get arrangements that, that change your mind. And that's always a good feeling when, when you see a blueprint to something that, you've loved, but maybe you're feeling a little insecure about adding yet another version of it to the canon. And um, so I, I, I love those two versions. I know, I know there's been, you know, countless others, which is why I was a little hesitant as well. Uh, it's, it's, it flows so easily as so many of the Asnavor songs do uh, as a singer um, for there to be so much room for line in the voice, we call it when, when there's just, you know, there are certain songs that have a lot of staccato in them and a lot of consonants and a lot of fast moving words. And, and you're, you know, this is all technical stuff, but your breath support is trying to fight with the, the, you know, scattered rhythm of a song and you're trying to find your, your support and your breath and all that stuff with a song, with a song like she it's, it's not only fun, fun, fun to interpret because it's just so fluid but it's also from a t- any singers listening will understand that it, that as a song in the set where it is is such an incredible breath reset because it has so much line in it it has so much fluidity to it that no matter where you are no matter what whether the weather is hot or cold or you're distracted or you're focused or one song went great or one song went terrible whatever it is it's a song that just it 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 sets your technique back to where it needs to be because there is no other option. It's one of those songs that, that commands of your voice and of your breath and of your support, um, that fluidity and, and that line in it. And it's also a song where the lyric is so beautiful that at the very least it can just, you can just focus on telling the story and so much of the rest clicks into place. And that's another thing about those lyrics that are, that are just so wonderful, but um, shout out to Vince Mendoza who did the arrangement to it. I've loved Vince Mendoza's work. Um, his solo work, his work with Joni Mitchell. Um, he's been a music director, I believe, and conducted the Metropole Orchestra in, um, in uh, the Netherlands. Um it's uh it's a um it's an amazing honor to to have had a, a great arrangement from him and uh and so it, it changed my mind i heard it and i went yep yeah i'd like to i'd like to lend my voice to that arrangement for sure one of the highlights for me i love your interpretation of the book of love um i've love seen peter gabriel oh, so good i've seen peter gabriel perform that with an orchestra um yeah and I love your interpretation of that. How did you end up choosing that? You know, I I've, I listened. To, I heard that song all the way back when it was Magnetic Fields in their original version, and then I heard Peter Gabriel's version with the orchestra. And you know, again, it's just uh, talking about just the crossover of some of these songs and how many sometimes those elements are there and they've been there right in front of you all along. Um, that song is a long time coming for me uh, it, because it's not flashy. It's taken a lot of convincing of people in my orbit to start singing it. You know, uh, I was always told it wasn't, you know, enough. When, when you're, you know, when your career was designed for 
the big notes, you know, and, 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 you know, you've got a lot of, a lot of people need to greenlight things to, you know, in order for them to eventually meet an audience. I record tons of things. I've seen lots of demos. I have lots of ideas, but you know, it's, it's a little bit of committee at the end of the day. And there's some for you and some for me. And, and eventually you, it's a collaboration to, to what the final album winds up becoming and what the show winds up becoming. So that song was one that was always in my mind for me. I always loved it. I always wanted to do it. It was always one of those songs where I think because it was so, I found it always to be brilliantly and beautifully simple. But I think that sometimes to the corner offices, it was not, did not have the, uh, you know, vocal, you know, fireworks that, that, um, that checked those boxes. So it started during the live streams. Um, I had an opportunity to do some live streams during quarantine where we were just in a little black box studio in Burbank, California. And, you know, everybody tested and it was just a string quartet and my band. And, you know, they turned the red light on and 92 countries tuned in and nobody could tell me no. So I had, I was, I was, I, I, I took the airwaves hostage and I, I decided to finally sing this song that I've wanted to sing for a really long time. And the response to it, uh, which is another great, great lesson for me was, was wonderful. It was uniformly, you know, excellent. And I, um, I love the message of it. I love how simple it is. And I love that it isn't the fireworks like every other song. I love that it, it represents how we feel about the purest connection when we have that with somebody in a way that when you, in, 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 in the quiet of what that pure love feels like, it doesn't need the fireworks that it's all that everything, everything else about it is enough. And that's in the lyric, you know, this the book of love is old, boring. Nobody can lift the damn thing, but you can, I love when you read to me, it's, it's taking the mundane and making it magical. And that's what I, that's what I love most about the, the message of the song. But then um, I was inspired by the potential for the, for the arrangement by that Peter Gabriel version. When I heard him play that with the orchestra, I said, Oh man, well, there's a, there's a, there's more to be done here with this. And, and as Peter Gabriel has done for so many of us for so many years, he unlocks lots of paths that so many of us have benefited from being able to walk down because of his uh, foresight and his experimentation and his brilliance. Um, so, so I'm simply walking down that wonderful path that he's laid out for us. And I'm, I'm just so happy to do it. I'll probably record it for the next album. I don't know yet, but I'd, I'd like to. Great. One song uh, people might not be familiar with, they might, but um, that's the song, How Do I Reach You? The Last Fail by Jesse Kinch. That was on his, his 2018 album, It's Not Like Everybody Else. Uh, Jesse was the winner of the TV show, The Rising Star, which you hosted, lasted one season. He got on stage and played with you at Jones Beach on, on July 8th and sang that song. And would love to hear about your relationship with him and how that song gets into the set list. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I was asked by ABC to host this, um, this show. It was a, a big hit in, in other parts of the world and just didn't find an audience that summer, but, but I had a great time doing it. And, um, it was kind of a weird concept in, in hindsight, but, um, but the cool thing about it was I got to, I got to meet a lot of really talented young musicians and I got to watch their stories blossom. And I, I'm such a big proponent of that. I have an arts foundation. It's just my favorite thing about the position I'm in now is being able to help shepherd, you know, young careers and, and, and put a, put a light on 
programs that are helping young artists. And so to watch somebody like Jesse um, introduce his talent to an audience that summer was was certainly a huge, it's just a huge highlight of doing that show because from the moment he, he opened his mouth, we all went, you know, wow, this is probably, you know, his, his to win or lose. Um, and he did in fact win it. And, uh, you know, he has one of those voices that, you know, defies, <laughs> defies a lot of rules. Um, it, it's so unbelievably powerful. It's raw, but it's controlled. Um, and he's got an old soul, really old soul. He just loves, loves, loves that style from, you know, sixties and seventies songwriting and singing. And, um, and so, um, and he played a lot of those songs as well. And he's also, you know, a double threat with the amount of guitar playing and, and, and voice. So anyway, um, I've been following his career. I was following him on Instagram and I would suddenly, I suddenly, I started to see posts from his family that he was battling, um, uh, brain cancer and he had a tumor and was pretty touch and go, uh, for a little while. And, um, is not out of the woods, you know, he's still in treatment. He's still preventatively in treatment. Uh, he's, uh, got to watch it very, very closely, but he's had something like two or three surgeries. He's been in chemo for now, just, I mean, I think a year, at least a year or two. And, uh, and, and, and because of where the tumor was, it affected his speech. It affected his ability to play the guitar. It affected all of the things that were his, have been his lifeblood. Like anybody who, who met Jesse during the rising star days, like he, his whole life is music. His whole life is, is interpreting these songs and writing songs and singing. He's such a pure musical soul. So I got in touch with, um, with Rick, his dad, and basically said, Hey, we're, we're here cheering on the sidelines. Please give Jesse our support. We then asked him, you know, is there something we can do to inspire him to get better in his recovery? Is there, a, like I, I just said, is there a guitar? Is there something that's like his dream guitars or something that that would be really fun to to give him to say, hey, you know, this is this is on the other end for you? Um, and he said, you know, as a matter of fact, there is. And there was a, a, a very specific, very rare Gibson electric guitar in a very specific, very rare blue color that has been Jesse's like, you know, Wayne's world in the, in the, in the plexiglass case <laughs> kind of guitar for him. We reached out to our friends at Gibson and told them Jesse's story and they were kind enough to uh, reserve one for him. And so we were able to, um, we were able to send him one. It was a little bit of a journey getting it to him. Uh, but, uh, but I, I, on top of giving it to him, I said, look, if he's feeling up to it, I would love for when we're passing through your area, Jones beach is 20 minutes from where they live. Um, would be honored to give him the stage for, as his as his comeback moment, and um, and he came out and he just crushed it. it. It meant so much to all of us to see him be able to do that, and uh, and he's got a concert coming up soon as well uh, where he'll play that play that guitar we got him. What a beautiful story! He quoted you. Unless he he says this is a Josh Groban quote on his Facebook page uh, a day or two ago. Instruments are more than just perfect trophy pieces; they share our journeys and stories and express our deepest dreams. Yeah, I, you know, and, and the interesting thing about this guitar is not only was it a dream guitar for him, but it came, it, it, it got damaged on the trip to him. There was some internal damage. There was like a knob that, that broke off or something. And we, you know, we were like, we were thinking to ourselves, ah, oh, do we, do we wait? Do we send it back? We knew it would be months and months and months to get it repaired by Gibson if we had to do that. And, you know, ultimately uh, there was a lot of back and forth going on and we were able to get 
uh, a really, really great uh, uh, guitar uh, tech expert to to fix it for him. But you know what? That became part of the story for him too. And now the instrument has has gone through some wear and tear too. And mm-hmm. and for him to feel like everything he's gone through and, and and persevered through, and now the guitar has gone through a lot too, and it's got guts that had needed to be replaced and are broken, and 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 is back to back to tip top shape. You know, I think to that to that point, he feels like now he's got an instrument that that is a representation of how he feels about music, how he feels about music now after all he's been through, and it, it makes it even more special. What a beautiful story. So, Josh, you're a big Stephen Sondheim fan. Mm. Uh, in in this particular set, you played "Not While I'm Around," which is from mm-hmm. Sweeney Todd. Mm-hmm. Tell us about your love for Sondheim's music. One of the first things I ever um, listened to or watched musically in any genre was a VHS um, recording of "Sunday in the Park with George." Uh, I must have been ten years old, nine or ten years old, and uh, and watched Mandy Patinkin and Bernadette Peters and watched and 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 really listened to um his his compositions for the first time and there was something about the way he wrote and all that and all that I was learning about this painter that I would never you know George Sarai would never would never have thought to think about a pointillist French painter at 10 years old and here I was asking my parents about uh, art and asking about the, you know my mom was an art history major in school and taught you know art history to high school students before she had my, my brother and I and you know I'm asking her about about painting and I'm and I'm listening to the chords and they're so complicated but I'm I'm lo- I'm just loving them and I'm loving the complexity of it and and so it was a you know it's, it was my aha musical kind of moment of this is incredible and I then started listening to everything else he did. And I started to um, appreciate more and more also with all of the, all of his shows that I was learning about something that I would never have otherwise learned about through his, through his, um, through his music. And, um, and, and then as I was growing into my voice and I was realizing just kind of naturally what kind of voice I had when I woke up in the morning, even though I liked to sing all different kinds of things, the, the voice that I woke up with in the morning really liked singing his music too and was really comfortable singing and interpreting his music and so as I started taking theater classes and going to theater college and whatnot it was just always a very very natural fit uh you know it's very rare that you know there's lots of people who who've inspired me in my life and and they can be inspirations but aren't necessarily the most natural fit for me to sing on Sondheim's music was always the the perfect storm of uh, of inspiration and also what my voice wanted to do. And so, um, so those songs have, have played a huge role in my, in my life. Um, uh, getting to, to know him and befriend him and, and be able to tell him personally how much his songs have meant to me in my life was one of the great honors of my, of my life over the last six or seven years. Um, and uh, and he leaves he leaves um, just an enormous amount of light and inspiration behind uh, and and music that will be that will be treasured by by so many of us. Um, and I'm, I'm happy to keep, of course, keep keep uh, keep that flame lit. And it's always it's always great to to sing his music on stage and to interpret it in different ways, which is why it's so wonderful to to sing 
um, not while I'm around with Ellery Ward um, on stage during this show because she's interpreting his music in ways that I've never heard before. And it's very, very cool to sing it with her. You know, in, in doing online research, uh, there's one song I have not seen in your set lists. Maybe you've played it, correct me if I'm wrong, and it's probably on some wish lists, and that's Rod Stewart's Forever Young. Uh, that's the song you performed in an episode of The Office, and you played the younger brother of Andy Bernard, right, played by Ed Helms. And, you know, with the way that show has, the way that show has grown over the years, and that episode, Garden Party, came out in 2011, I imagine a lot of people in the audience have seen that episode and might know the song. It, it doesn't sound exactly like the original. Uh, you do a t There's a different take on it. Have you ever dropped that in a set? You know, um, I have not. And it is interesting because my, my comedy appearances have been uh, really very just kind of organic. People will call me, Mindy Kaling messaged me and said, hey, we got a really funny role uh, we think would be good for you. I was on tour at the time and I just dropped everything to, you know, drive out to Shroot Farms and, and have the best time ever with, 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 that, with that gang. Um, and, you know, because I'm not, you know, top 40, you know, press all the time, sometimes people only know me for those little comedy appearances. Sometimes like somebody will come up to me on the street and be like, you're the guy from Old Sunny in Philadelphia. I'm like, I guess I played myself. Yes. Thank you. Um, I am also a real person, not just the character, <laughs> Josh Groban. Um, but uh, yeah, so sometimes, sometimes I'll get requests to sing that. Sometimes I'll get requests to sing Kanye's tweets. Uh, sometimes I'll get requests to sing um, um, not like a bird from, uh, from always sunny. You know, I, I have had an amazing time working with some very, very funny people and making a caricature out of myself is my favorite hobby. And so um, you never know. At some, at some point I will do enough of those appearances where I could do an entire uh, concert of just the joke, uh, joke song appearances. But, but that is a beautiful song on its own, even without the humor. So, so maybe, maybe this will spark uh, uh, a, a finally at some kind of change in the set list before the final show. That would be amazing. So as you get closer to the, the end of your show, uh, there are certain things that fans come to expect. What, what are a few of those songs? Maybe it's You Raise Me Up, but what, what are some of those songs mm -hmm. that you just, you can't leave the building without singing or they'll chase you down? Right. <laughs> um, well, I, I would say that, that one of the things that's always important to my fans is that we represent some of the foreign language songs on stage. I think they really they really like to hear so much of the beginning of my career at least certainly was was wrapped around singing songs in different languages it's something i love to do i love the challenge of it i love how the languages change the interpretation of a song and change how my voice fits into it and um and so there's always a, a couple of songs like alejate we do in the show and we do um in this case one of the one of the italian songs Allo Luce del sole and uh, say that i, I perform with, with lucia um, and then, you know, You Raise Me Up is, is a song that I, I've done mo on most every tour. The only, the only tour I didn't do You Raise Me Up was we did a musical theater song tour for the Stages album. And, you know, we kind of made a conscious decision that there was almost going to be kind of a concept tour, that this was going to be really paying, you know, homage to, uh, to, the, to, to the songs of the, of the musical theater repertoire. It didn't feel right. It didn't feel like it fit in that tribute. Uh, it would have been really random. It would have been almost like kind of just 
like, oh, well, no, anyway, here's the hit. You know, I just, I just, it wasn't the kind of, it wasn't the kind of show I wanted to do at that time. But when we do, you know, our shows, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those songs that, you know, I've sung it a million times, but every time when you hear the audience sing along and they get their lights out and it means something so deeply to so many people around the world. I mean, it's, it has become a soundtrack to so many people's lives. It's uh it's a beautiful thing to have something like that, that you can, you can cap the night off and, uh, and do it. I usually don't do it as an encore. I usually do it as just the night, the final song of whatever the normal set list is. And then, and then I save the encore, the couple of encores for, for songs that people hopefully didn't know they wanted. Well, let's wrap it up there, Josh. Thanks for joining us. It was great to talk. Good luck on the rest of the tour. Such a we will be we'll be waiting for that forever young and and TV comedy <laughs> tour. <laughs> I'm gonna need to shake it up after this for sure. So we'll 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 uh, we'll definitely uh, put it in the um, suggestion box. Thank you both so much. It's been a, it's been a thrill to be here. Thank you, Josh. Appreciate it. All right, take care, Josh. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.